This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. This is the Mark Madden Unfiltered Podcast from the Bet Rivers Network. Another edition of the Mark Madden Podcast here on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. And one thing you can bet on, and you know what's a winning bet, is that anyone can get away with fat shaming in a public venue. There'll be no blowback. Ain't going to be nobody fired. Ain't going to be nobody canceled. The latest proof of that is P.K. Subban of ESPN fat shaming Lizzo, the pop singer, by saying Toronto had better pack a Lizzo-sized lunch when they take on Carolina in the ongoing Stanley Cup playoff series. I'm joined now by Tim Benz. Tim, your thoughts on what Subban said? I'm not as much just offended by it, because I'm fat, but I'm offended because we are the last group you can go after. Like, if P.K. Subban had shamed one of any of a dozen other groups for any flaw, real or perceived, he would have been fired the next day. But like I said, there's no blowback to this at all, at least none beyond Twitter outrage. I've seen Twitter outrage. I haven't seen an apology. And the Twitter outrage is that there hasn't been an apology. It's not for what he said. It's that he hasn't apologized yet. And He's not going to. I don't think he is. If he hasn't by now, he's not going to. I think we're starting to see a shift in that a bit. I think we're starting to see a shift away from admitting wrong or stating that you believe you were wrong, especially when you don't believe it. Um, I don't know if you saw the clip that was going around YouTube from the Bill Maher show. He had the Cojones Awards. Did you see that? No. It was basically people who refused to apologize when the politically correct mob came after him. And I think you're starting to see people move in that direction now. Um, Now, is it right for it to call her fat? It's mean. You know, I, I guess it's mean. Um, I, I keep saying, though, for me, it's the context of fat people literally being the only group you can go after and nobody really cares. Well, maybe it's because he's got something else on his side, which is obviously it's hockey and no one's watching. Yeah, that's probably Yeah, it. no, 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 that that is on his side. <laughs> if you call Lizzo fat in the forest, does it make a sound? Uh, and by the way, if you don't think people are watching now, and actually the first round wasn't so bad, but this round, whew, I bet the ratings are going to take a nosedive. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, the stars are still there, but if nobody knows their stars, seriously, I mean, hockey's done such a bad job marketing the McDavid's and the Matthews's, McKinnon's out, Sid never made the playoffs in the first place. And, you know, hockey knows, you know, I used to hate when hockey would over-promote the original six but the general public does know those teams, and they know the big markets. Like, when the New York Rangers went out, and, and they went out in Game 7 on the last night of the first round, 
I bet ESPN, TNT, and the NHL were rooting for them as they've never rooted for a team before. And then they got killed for for zip. What would really help this round, and it just didn't work out this way, the bracket system is what it is, but what would really help this round or would have helped last round is if McDavid had played a team that was in the central time zone. Like, you know, if there had been an avalanche on the other side – you know, Chicago, Dallas, if he had gotten into a, a a playoff situation, the Blackhawks are never going to make it. But I'm just saying theoretically, get him into a place where it's not the late start every single game. And it was against L.A. Uh, it will be now against Vegas. And that would also help a dry settle, too, especially with the way he played the other night. Yeah, got four goals the night after Pavelski got four goals. And their respective teams both lost. Uh, like, what I- if it's Connor McDavid against Seattle? In the championship round, like you know, no one knows in Seattle. Well, no, that, that's impossible because they're both in the Western Conference. Sorry, I meant the Western Conference. The Western Conference yeah. final, but but what if what if the final Seattle and Florida? I've thought about that. All that travel and no TV viewership and no TV draw really for as far as stars go. And well, Tim, who's the star Frank- in the league right now? Seriously. Well, McDavid is one. Two of them play on the same team. Okay, but is McDavid perceived as a star in New York City? I think so. Really? Yeah. I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if hockey has one star besides Sid. You know, at the at the downside of his career, and he's always been a star. And, and I'm not sure why, because you know, his great play aside, I wouldn't call him a bucket of charisma. Who? No, he's tried to stay away from every sort of controversy. And, and, and Ovi is a star because of his rivalry with Sid. And that's hurt the playoffs, too, I think, is those two aren't in it. Boston's out at the same time. McDavid doesn't have that guy to play against. You know, a guy that he's beaten, it's beaten him. Eichel kind of now, because they were drafted 1-2 in their draft year, and I thought it was kind of cool when Eichel stripped him of the puck and scored the empty netter to seal game one. I feel like that was a great buildup that we could have marketed more if if we're talking about this from the NHL's point of view, but... It's almost like people forgot because he doesn't play for the original team that drafted him anymore. That would have been a bigger deal if it was Buffalo. But now it's Vegas, and I think people have forgotten about the dynamic of those two. I think the coverage of hockey on TNT and ESPN, getting back to what what I was saying about Subban, I don't think it's good. I, I think ESPN needs to lean on Butchergrass, Levy, and, and Linda Cohn uh, because they know how to present hockey. They know the game and they talk it well. They make it accessible. Messier, Chelios, they both had charisma bypass surgery. Uh, I think Weeks, he's okay. Kevin Weeks. Uh, Subban's a clown. Uh, on TNT, talk it was good. Uh, Colby Armstrong is good. I-, I think Biz is clever, but he's not as funny as he thinks he is. I mean, I think there's too much reliance on humor. Way too much on TNT, and Subban goes way overboard on ESPN. Well, just in you outlining that, one thing was sort of crossing my mind is why does why is it that they approach this that everybody has to have a carved out role? Why does one person have to be the point guy? Why does one person have to be the analytical guy? Why does one person have to be the staid but you know important big name? And why does one person have to be the clown? Well, like, why, why well but, but, but Biz ain't the clown. I mean, Biz is better than that. Biz actually does good with analysis. But then, you know, he goes overboard. Like like one night they spent 90 seconds talking about Henrik Lundqvist's haircut. And then when Talkit left, him and Lundqvist, Lundqvist had a guitar and they sang a farewell to Talkit. That's funny to them. 
And there's too much humor on that TNT telecast that's the just for us kind of thing. It's all an inside joke. And I know they think they're trying to be like Barkley and Shaq. Barkley and Shaq are much bigger stars than them. I was just about to say, they've got... It's funny to everybody because everybody knows who they are. Like, and it's organic. They're just being who they are. Maybe Biz is too, but I, I don't know. It's just it's just not what they think it is. I also think Ernie's a little quicker and more adept at passing the puck. Oh, like so Liam McHugh on TNT gets gets uh, overwhelmed. He does. I think. Absolutely yeah. overwhelmed. I think like, you know, Bucci, you know, Levy, whoever's hosting on, on ESPN does a much better job. Speaking of Levy, what do you think about him not doing Monday Night Football? I think he's a great talent, and they've always taken him incredibly so for granted. Uh, who's your Stanley Cup favorite among the teams remaining, Tim? Uh, Dallas. Yeah, me too, because the goalie? The goalie, although he didn't know it the other night. But. Yeah, he let, in, he let in five, but, but I mean, he's the best goalie left, and there's not another elite goalie left either. I also like, th- there's no one that he will be in a goalie duel with. I also think they're the most balanced, you know, from the last – Defenseman to the top forward. They got they got stars at each level too. Yeah, so they they have that going for them. I would have said Edmonton at the start of the playoffs in the West. I just sort of felt like it was McDavid's time. Although Drysaddle's played better than McDavid has, I think. Uh, and that's not just based on the four goals. I thought that before he got the four goals. He scored the Lemieux bank shot. How about that? Did he throw it off the back of his head? Is that what he did? I think it, he put it like... Off the uh, back of his neck? Off his shoulder, I think. Uh, okay. That, I've seen Crosby do that a few times, whereas Lemieux, Lemieux was further away. Lemieux's goals were better in that circumstance. Like game one of the 92 finals, he was like almost in the corner. And he waited for Belfort to adjust his legs, then banked it off the inside of his far pad. It was amazing. One thing that's very noticeable between the two four-goal games is how much more aesthetically pleasing Dreisaitl's four goals were than Pavelski's. Right, Pav just drove to the yeah, net I mean, I don't, over I don't, and over. I'm not even saying that as an insult to Pavelski. He just kept, you know, the most simple, nondescript, I'm just going to keep skating if the puck goes off my gloves, so be it kind of goals. Well, to me, this is wide open for Edmonton and Toronto. I mean, Dallas is my favorite. But I'm not sure Edmonton and Toronto have excuses. In, in the West, Colorado's out. In the East, Boston is out. There's no reason those teams shouldn't make the final. The Florida thing is getting sticky, though. Like, for as much as I want to blame Boston, and I do, for falling apart, Florida is a was a good team last year. Matthew Kachuk's the best player in the playoffs, period. And nobody has a guy like him either. When you say best player, you don't mean better than McDavid. You just mean playing the best right playing now. Playing the best, yes, correct. For what he does. And having yes. more impact than anybody. Absolutely much more impact. What about Dreisaitl? Right, right now. I'd take Kachuk. Okay. Um, I think, you know what Florida reminds me of, and it's, you know, it's not the greatest analogy in the world, but like they were a great, a much better team last year. A lot of people thought it might have been their year last year. Oh, that year. was the trade. That trade with Calgary was the trade that hurt both teams until now. And then they sort of lost it, didn't do much in the playoffs and this year they weren't as good in the regular season and now they're peaking at the right time I and mean, we saw that when the Steelers went 15-1 remember that and then they were 7-5 and five at one point the next year and they went on to win the Super Bowl so like I wonder if they're a good team who had a terrible regular season just barely scratched their way in and now is peaking in the playoffs you know people talk about McDavid and McKinnon and Sid but if I had to start a team with Matthew Kachuk I'd be okay with that and how come there aren't players like Matthew Kachuk anymore? Or for that matter, Brady Kachuk? There's maybe five or six wingers like that in the whole league, and the Pens ain't got one. The closest the Pens have had 
to having one in recent times. I mean, Hornquist was a crash and a banger, but he had like, you know, half the skill. And Kunitz played like that, but he had, you know, a lot less size. It's sort of like thinking that you can't be a star if you're a power forward anymore. You know, like star players don't want to stand in front of the net and get the hell beat out of them. And I don't think teams want to... It's very demanding to play the way the Kachuks play. And I wonder if they'd play that way if they hadn't watched their dad do it growing up. I would agree with that. I think there's a lot to that. You know, centers in the NBA have sort of become that too. Like, what's the point of just standing in the paint and getting the hell beat out of you unless you're Shaq um, and you can absorb it? Running backs in the NFL are kind of like that. I mean, how many star running backs are there really? There's Derrick Henry and then you have some other good guys, Jonathan Taylor, but... You're few and far between because they get beat up, they get they get spun out, they get spent fast, they don't stay with the same team. So that's part of the reason why I think you don't see star power forwards anymore, because if you are a star, they ask you to do something else. Um we I, I mentioned before that I think Ottinger is the only elite goalie left in the playoffs. Unless Sergei Bobrovsky suddenly become that guy he was when he won those two Vesnas with Columbus. Uh where did he come from? He really does look like that guy from back when, and we should note that he upset. Uh, uh, help me out here, Tim. Who had? Oh, oh Linus Olmark. No, no, no. Who who Bob upset with with Columbus? In the, oh, Tampa. Oh, Tampa. Yeah, when sure. Tampa had that record-setting year. The Vasilevsky. You know, yeah, and now he's up. He upset Boston too. He he looks unbelievable, and he he wasn't even their starter at the beginning of the Boston series. Yeah, and people were thinking by the end of this year, Spencer Knight would be the one that took over, but it was actually the Lions guy that started the series against Boston. Cause... Yeah, but he was just the third stringer who got hot. And, yeah. they, and they barely made the playoffs. They were grasping. I get it. So when I, And to tie this back to the to the Kachuk thing, you look at the style of hockey that we're seeing in the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and it's a lot of hitting. It's a lot of nastiness. It goes towards a player like Kachuk. Again, that's part of a reason why I think there should be more of an emphasis on finding the power forward type, finding the kind of guy that plays but, like but that. But they're not out there. That, I mean, guys don't play the, that way in junior. Like, you know what emphasizes how rare those players are? The Capitals took Tom Wilson in the first round. And, you know, he's no Kachuk, but he's that kind of player. And he'll get you on a good team, you know, 18 to 20 goals. And they said, okay, this guy can impact winning. And that's one thing that's been lost in drafting, and even more so when we evaluate drafts. People always say, oh, this guy can't do this, this guy can't do that. They talk about his stats, blah, blah, blah. They need to also consider how will he impact winning. Like Detroit, the Lions, in their draft, they took a running back and an inside linebacker right with their first two picks, and people ridiculed them. But then again, that Jack Campbell from Iowa – he was the best inside linebacker in the draft. They just thought he'd go in the second round. I thought the Steelers might get him with pick 49. But they draft to get guys who impact winning, and I get that. If you take the Hornquists, the Kunitzes, the Garens, the guys who played that role for this recent cup iteration of the Penguins, Tockett and Stevens back in the 90s, like those guys became stars because that's what the style of play dictated at the most important times. It doesn't stand out as being a star worthy and you wear down faster. A lot of stars do that try to do it if it's over the course of an 82 game season. And that's why I think it's almost a self-defeating prophecy to try to get guys like that. And I think, like you said, in development, um, you know, you just drew the draft analogy to the NFL. I'll go to the NBA where, you know, it used to be if you were Clyde Drexler, if you were Dominique Wilkins and you're a 
your singular talent was driving to the hoop and dunking the ball and playing in transition. Nowadays, you become the three and D guy, you know, where you have the driving ability, but you also stay on the perimeter and shoot threes and then just guard. Um, I think that's sort of the same thing with the power forwards, like where the money is, is not to be knocked to the ground all the time and standing in front of the net or fouled hard on a drive to the hoop. It's in hockey, stay on the perimeter, shoot the puck, and maybe try to get the secondary assist on the power play as opposed to standing in front of the goalie and setting the screen. Right, but 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 that don't help you win. It doesn't help you win, which is why I'm saying like the Kachucks are rare because teams have those gutty, bigger guys that are power forwards, but they're third liners during the regular season, and then you give them more ice time in the playoffs. Well, the Kachuks ain't never been third liners, but I get your drift. But I'm saying most. I'm saying they're the exception to the rule. Tim, I can't even think of third liners who play like that. Like, when I'm thinking of guy like Josh Anderson from Montreal, he plays like that. Keep going. I mean, off the top of my gonna, head. And you're never yeah. going to see him in the playoffs because he's playing with Montreal. Right. And you don't get to see that talent shine more because the ice contracts, the game contracts. And I don't put him in a class with the Kachuks. They are so unique by the standard of, of today's league. I think, though, if Anderson was on a better team, you might think more that that gap was more narrow. Hey, I lobbied for the Penguins to get him when he was – I forget where he was before Montreal, but he was in the trade mix. Uh, I forget, but but you know, I he would have been a guy the Penguins could use. But the Penguins will never have a player like that. Uh, Tim, you saw the video of Joey Porter talking to his kid after the kid got uh, snubbed in the first round of the NFL draft. What was your take on that? Trying to hype him up, you mean, and say take it personal, all that stuff. Well, I don't think he tried to hype him up to a over the top level. The Columbus was Josh Anderson. Okay, okay. Uh, I don't think Porter tried to hype him up to an over-the-top level. It wasn't, you know, a hate screed. I think he talked him off the ledge and and motivated him. I thought it was an example of of him being a good football dad. And I think the reaction from Joey Porter Jr. was less about uh, anger about being bypassed. I think he was embarrassed. You know, being one of the guys in Kansas City, there in the green room waiting, I think he was in tears because of embarrassment more than grievous personal injury don't you yeah but you know tomato tomato i mean he was still close to tears uh but but i thought i thought porter did a great job with the kid not that i ever thought you know peasy was a bad dad i had no reason to suspect that except for some of the things that happened at north catholic and and a games but but i'm not sure that was being that was more like being a typical football dad (laughs) an annoying football dad uh but that leads me to my next question Will Peasy be a problem with his kid on the Steelers? Will he uh, hover? Will his friendship with Mike Tomlin add a, a bad component to all this? I didn't hear any of that from Penn State. No, no, nor did I. But it's also a little easier to distance at Penn, literal distance. It's State College, not Pittsburgh. Well, not only that, his one of his best friends don't coach Penn State. There, that's it as well. I just So long as he's not coaching, I don't see it being a problem. Um, I don't think it would ever get to the point where Joey Porter's wandering on the field because little Joey got a bad pass interference penalty. Um, he might yell some stuff from the stands, but Tim, I don't think Tim, he'll ever get that When bad. his kid played at North Catholic, after some games he was on the field. I think that's high school, though, and he knows he can bully high school. I, I think even Joey Porter realizes he can't bully the NFL. I think you're probably right. It is the NFL. It's pro football. Like I said, he was a, a bit of a problem, not overwhelmingly so, at North Catholic and North Allegan. If he would have not been Joey Porter, 
with Mike Tomlin accompanying him, not onto the field, but he was at the North Catholic games with them when both their sons played there, you probably never would have heard about it. But like you said, um, it, it was never a problem at Penn State. How good is Porter Jr. going to be? And can he cover Jamar Chase? Will he be deployed against the other team's top target? He can better than whoever they have right now. And I think that was the most important thing about this draft was getting at least one player who could do that and hang with those guys better. He's seen and played against the guys that have been first-round picks and done so fairly successfully over the years in the Big Ten when he's seen some of the Ohio State guys. Um, No one's going to cover T. Higgins and Jamar Chase all the time successfully, but I think he can hang with them at a higher percentage than Akella Witherspoon or Levi Wallace could if he was the only guy being asked to do it. Well, can he do it better than Patrick Peterson? I don't think he's going to have to. I think he's going to have to do it as well as Patrick Peterson. You don't think they'll move Porter from side to side to follow a guy around? Oh, Because that's his job description, if not right away, then sooner or later. For as much as I keep hearing that they really don't want Peterson running with those guys, then Joey Porter is going to have to. But I I thought you meant, like, for him being the third cornerback as opposed to the second and, like, bringing him along slowly. Well, I, I hope they don't, but but that's how the Steelers do. I I would bet. I think Porter's more likely to start the first game than um, Broderick Jones. Than Broderick Jones I think is, that's yes. true because I think they're happier with Dan Moore than they are with any of the other cornerbacks that would be soaking up that spot for Porter. They're more they're in more need of Porter being good fast than Jones, believe it or not. Now, Porter Jr. is wearing number 24 to honor Ike Taylor. His Uncle Ike. I might add, Uncle Ike broke that story. Not not Porter, not Porter's dad, but Uncle Ike. Does does Peasy's kid wearing number 24 to honor Uncle Ike scare you at all? It scares me. It scares me in the sense that I hope that means he doesn't have bad hands. We so rarely had a chance to see him try to catch the ball because it was rarely thrown his way. And the lack of ball production that everybody talks about, he didn't have a lot of chance for interceptions. Taylor had a ton of chances for interceptions. I think that's because he gave up some big plays as a rookie and people kept challenging him. But Ike Taylor was largely much better than he was bad uh, as a Steelers cornerback. I think by the end of his career, in fact, that year where they played against Green Bay in the Super Bowl, he was by far and away their best corner. And a lot of times when the Steelers got in trouble that year, including in the Super Bowl, it was just a matter of going after the cornerback not named Ike Taylor until that last third down to Greg Jennings. So I think Ike was a good cornerback. His hands were not. I hope that's not the case with Porter because I would like to see them challenge the rookie and the rookie get the ball back on occasion. I, I just hope uh, Porter doesn't take to signing his autograph with block letters. That uh, that That's an Uncle Ike speciality. Um, I still see the Steelers as the number three team in the AFC North, Tim. How about you? Lamar coming back and Lamar coming back in theory healthy. I still think they're third, yeah. And with better receivers. Not great receivers, better. Zay Flowers was my favorite receiver in the draft. Well, there you go. Uh, I love Zay Flowers. He's polished, too. That's the thing. That's I think that's bigger. That's a bigger element to some, to, to compare him to some of the other Baltimore receivers that have come through. He was at Boston College forever. And he was the kind of guy who had no help. I think Tomlin's kid might have been their second best receiver in terms of yards per catch. Well, the Steelers will be drafting him. Eventually, Is yes. that next year? I think it's two years, actually. Can't wait. <laughs> um, 
But he, the ball was going to Zay Flowers every time, and he still set records, school records. So I think that's a very polished, good pick for Baltimore. I think the the one thing about the Steelers offseason we can all be angry about, Tim, is they're not going to let Darnell Washington wear number zero. Is everybody up in arms about that? Well, I've seen a few people saying the Steelers won't let nobody have no fun. Like, like what number you wear is fun. Like, I, I don't see how him wearing zero translates to fun for him or for us or for anybody. I think it's fun because people just want to pretend they're saying number zero is eligible when a tackle gets out there because he looks like a tackle. Um, I, I just think they want him to be unique in all ways. And I think being 6'7 and being able to run and catch like that should be unique enough. Uh, Tim, Aerosmith tickets go on sale tomorrow. We're taping this on Thursday, Friday at 10 a.m. I'm planning on going to at least four of their shows, but if they all go on sale at the same time, I'm going to be in a frenzy trying to, you know, go on Ticketmaster from date to date and making sure I don't get froze out in some places. I'm not sure they'll sell out that fast, but, uh. But, Do you play but, the secondary market game at all or no? I, I, no, I'll mop up in the secondary market, yeah, with what I don't get. But I'm looking at, at Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Cleveland, and Columbus for sure. Maybe Philadelphia, maybe MSG. So it's going to be tough to navigate. But as was famously said at the end of Days of Confused, top priority of the summer. Or in this case, May 5th. Are you at all gun-shy based on the amount of times you tried to see Aerosmith and they've not shown up? Well, this will be different, Tim, because those all happen in Vegas. And I had plane reservations. I had hotel reservations. Heck, I had dinner reservations. And uh, you know, I you know that those were all mostly paid for. I wouldn't have got all the money back. So I went. I saw Sammy Hagar twice the one trip. I had already been booked to see ZZ Top and Leonard Skinner the other trip. So, um, but in this case, I'll be driving. You can always not drive. And it's the kind of hotel reservation where I can cancel it. You know, Within you're just going to hours, yeah. yeah, you're just going to a you know to a Marriott or something like that, or maybe even less decadent given <laughs> given the chance it might might be canceled. But I don't know. I think this is their last shot. I think they gotta deliver. And uh, I also think that they will uh, be playing more shows after this leg they've already scheduled because their last show ever is not going to be in Montreal as it currently is scheduled. And I don't believe it's their last show ever at any rate, but. I think their last show ever is going to be this summer. What they think, what they say is their last show ever this summer at Fenway Park. I was just going to say Boston somewhere. Because they're from Boston. And also the fact that there's no Vegas date on the current itinerary leads me to believe they'll be playing a Vegas uh, residency next year. And that will be the – so this is the last tour, but they're going to keep playing with the residency, you think? No, no, no. I, I think the last residency will be part of the last tour. Oh, okay. All right. You know, it's like Kiss. Kiss did that farewell tour that lasted seven years. And it's still going on. It's going to be in Columbus in a couple weeks. Isn't Columbus? Well, isn't Kiss going to be part of Sonic Oh, yeah, Temple? yeah, but that's a festival. I would never go to that. Uh, I'm thinking of going to their last show ever December 2nd. And I think that may be their last show because I think they're going to die soon. Paul Stanley might be at the end. Like, I don't even know. If- they're, I think they're using tapes with him. I mean, yeah, and that bothers me, but not so much that I won't go. Well, there's so much about the show and the spectacle anyway, right? I mean, you're not going necessarily Especially hear- MSG last night. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, are, the, are the Crows opening for them every- Yeah, Black Crows, yeah. The whole tour? Uh, all the dates uh, scheduled, yes. You're not a big Black Crows fan, though, are you? I- I'll go see them, yeah. I'm not, I'm not like, I, I don't like, I would never travel to see them as a standalone, but I'll, I'll go to see these shows, yeah. They are not my- Plus, plus, opening, playing an opening set- they will trim their songs down to the ones I really want to hear. 
they won't get too jam bandy either, I bet. I, I wouldn't think they could. They always do. Like, you know, they have such a catalog, and yet they still only play 10 or 11 songs when you see them live. I think that was the case the last time Did I saw Did you see them with, with uh, Jimmy Page? No, I didn't. It was great. No, I, I, I didn't see them with Page. I have seen them, though. I think I've seen the Crows more than any other band except for Tool. Um, and, and they're not my favorite band. I just go when they're around. Um, and I, I will... I've yet to see Aerosmith live, so I want to see Aerosmith live on this tour, especially if the Crows. Are I bet I'm it. in the twenties for Aerosmith. Is are they your most, or was was there? No, one? my most is UFO. UFO. Okay. UFO. I'm in the thirties, maybe the forties. I mean, I, I I would go see like seven or eight shows on a single tour sometimes. Does Pursuit have you with more uh, Springsteen concerts, or do you have him? With- if he does, I don't envy him. <laughs> <laughs> not not by a long shot, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm quite looking forward. Uh, did you ever hear the story about how, uh, why Jimmy Page quit playing with the Black Crows? Yeah, because it, it's in Steve Gorman's book. The well, original... Was there something about he gave a suggestion? He wanted to play with them. He, on he, no, or... he wanted. Well, he he did a short tour. That was when I saw him at uh, Star Lake. Yeah, and then they had another tour scheduled, but Page's back was hurting, and they played like four shows. They played, uh, I want to say Jimmy Fallon, and then after Jimmy Fallon, Page just went home, and the Crows continued without him. And uh, you know the the. The story was his back hurt, and his back did hurt. But he said to Steve Gorman years later, because Gorman didn't know the whole story, Page had written some songs, just a couple songs, and he wanted to record them with the Black Crows for a Black Crows album and maybe maybe produce those songs and, you know, whatever they wanted him to do. He wanted to basically do an album with the Black Crows, right? And, uh, and the Robinsons told him, now nah, we write our own songs, thanks anyway. And Page said to Gorman, listen, I, I know my value, and I understand it's their band, but but I also understand that we were playing much bigger halls with me than than you had before I joined. So I figured my back hurts, and I'll just take off. Makes sense. I mean, that's probably one of the few things, especially back then, that Robinsons actually agreed on, which is kind of sad. And did did you ever hear the Jimmy Page Stephen Tyler story? No. This is in Joe Perry's book, which makes it even funnier. Okay. Okay. Uh, when Zeppelin played that show with. Uh, with Plant, you know, the original, the Zeppelin with Bonham's Kid. Yeah. The London show, the reunion show, the only real reunion. The O2 show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, you know. O2 Arena, I meant. Yeah, that. O2 Arena. Paige, Jones, and Bonham's Kid wanted to play more shows, and Plant just didn't want to. And I, 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 I had a, that's another story, but I had access to a ticket for the London show, and I figured they had to play at least one show in New York. But anyway, they didn't. And, uh, so, so the three other members auditioned singers to like, you know, maybe do a, like a night of Led Zeppelin music with, you know, Paige, Jones, and Bonham. And um, I think this is in Perry's book, but I've heard this story a lot of times. Is this Miles Kennedy? Is it? No, Miles Kennedy did, did rehearse with them. The okay. Alder Bridge guy. He would have been great, actually. They just decided not to do it. But Steven Tyler rehearsed with them. And, um, and he said, and, and they played some original material. And on the second day, they they worked on some of the original material. And Tyler goes, "Look, if you want to record these, there's no hits here. You guys need to work with you know Marty Fredrickson or Desmond Child, some of the the writers we've worked with to to make some hits." And Jimmy Page goes, "Oh, oh, okay. Well, that's you know we'll take that under consideration." So Tyler showed up the next day for rehearsals, and all that was there was the manager and a plane ticket because nobody tells Jimmy Page he can't write songs. <laughs> that's great. Uh, you know, I'm not Did sure. Did you ever patch it up or no? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, I mean, that's one thing. I mean, Jimmy Page after Zeppelin, you know, 
closed up shop. You know, he did the firm with Paul Rogers, which was good. He did the Black Crows tour. He did yeah. the one solo album, Outrider. He did Coverdale Page with David Coverdale at Whitestick, which is a brilliant album. And it's a shame they never toured. And the reason they never toured was because Plant hates Coverdale so much that when that album kind of got some success, that's when Plant offered to work with Page again. And they did, and they did the uh, Walking into Clarksdale album, yes, and they right. did those couple tours, which were excellent. The tours, the album. I saw them there. I saw them in Philadelphia on that tour. The album, not so much. Walking into Clarksdale was a smidgen of Coverdale Page, and that's the truth. Coverdale Page was much better. But one thing Jimmy Page has always been good at is knowing who he is, and that's Jimmy Page. You know, so this, the, the Black Crow story, and the. Uh, and the Steven Tyler story, definitely in keeping with the brand, <laughs> as they say. That's Tim Benz. I'm Mark Madden. Bet now from anywhere. This is the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Catch new episodes of Mark Madden Unfiltered every week. Available on the Bet Rivers Network, betrivers.com, and wherever you find your podcasts.